Gassas. Welcome to Greek Like Me, the podcast about all things Greek for Greeks, Hellenophiles, and anybody who's interested in learning about other cultures. I'm your host, Pamela Diotis Wood. Email us at stealthgreek at gmail.com to share comments, questions, and stories about Greeks, Greekness, or your own ethnic background. I'll be using generic pronunciations for most of the sites and proper names we'll be discussing. Greeks will know who I'm talking about. And I'll throw in correct Greek pronunciation with my Jersey accent from time to time. One of the most popular tourist spots in Athens is Plaka. It's a tourist magnet. Narrow winding stone streets, colorful neoclassical buildings, loads of shops and restaurants, and the sudden appearance of ancient ruins around every few corners make it irresistible. There are plenty of kishy little shops selling the Greek eye, replicas of ancient Greek vases, and colorfully painted wooden phalluses. Yes, there's that. Probably a tribute to the god of fertility, wine, and theater, Dionysios. The fact that nearly every souvenir shop has them is probably more of a tribute to the tourists who keep buying them. There is a big phallic festival in Greece honoring Dionysius sometime before Lent starts, so I'm just going to shrug now. You can also find some exceptional jewelry shops where the owners design and make their own one-of-a-kind jewelry. Antique shops, and I'm talking real antiques here. Boutiques, art stores, church supplies, and shops selling hand-painted Orthodox icons and handmade prayer ropes from the monasteries of Manathos. Greek reporter calls Plaka the art and antique destination for Athenians. Besides buying a few items for our home altar that we couldn't find back home, and several Greek eyes, or matia because I can't resist, I found a bargain of a beautifully made linen blouse. And there are cafes and restaurants selling everything from nouveau Greek cuisine to classic Turkish food to grilled every kind of meat you can think of to comfort foods just like Nunai used to make. But there's so much more to Plaka. It's the oldest neighborhood in Athens, a city more than 5,000 years old. And it's been inhabited continuously since that time. So many ancient cities have disappeared, but Athens remains. Plaka was literally built on top of the ancient city which stood near the ruins of the ancient Agora, which was both a marketplace and a place of assembly at the base of the Acropolis. Acropolis means the highest point of a city, or polis. Acro means edge or peak, polis is city. There you go. It's a rocky, flat-topped peak overlooking the city. By the 5th century BCE, it had become home to the Parthenon, the Temple of Athena, goddess of war and wisdom and the protector of Athens, and what better vantage point to protect her city from? Several other monuments on the Acropolis honor the gods, Poseidon, Zeus, Artemis, Aphrodite, and more. This is why Plaka is known as the neighborhood of the gods. It starts on the northeast slope of the Acropolis and reaches nearly to Syntagma Square, the home of Greek Parliament where the Evzones patrol the tomb of the unknown soldier. You can literally see the Parthenon every time you look up while exploring the streets of Plaka. And it's magnificent. Take a stroll there at night when the ancient ruins are lit up. It looks like a palace overseeing the city of Athens. The neighborhood wasn't actually called Plaka until after the Greek War of Independence in the early half of the 19th century. It was previously called Alikoku, Contito, and Kandili. The origin of the name Plaka isn't really known. But several sources I read cited the term Pliak Athens, 
from an Albanian Greek dialect, meaning Old Athens. The Arvanites were ethnic Albanians who migrated to Greece in the 13th century. At some point, they settled in this ancient area of Athens and began referring to it as Pleak Athens, later shortened to Plaka. The rest of the area's residents must have liked the sound of it because the name has stayed the same all of these centuries. Email us if you have a different origin story for the name. During the Ottoman occupation starting in the 15th century, Plaka became the seat of the Turkish governor. His staff and supporters took over much of the area, and Plaka became known as the Turkish Quarter. As the Greek War of Independence made its way into Athens in the 18th century, much of Plaka was abandoned because of the fierce fighting, and many buildings were destroyed. The first king of independent Greece, Otto, decided on Athens as the new capital of the country in 1834, moving it from Aegina, the capital named during the War for Independence, and Plaka repopulated. Most of the city's 4,000 residents lived there. As the new capital, Athens was in serious need of rebuilding after the war. Skilled builders looking for work came in droves from the Kikladic island of Anafi. Apparently, the new government wasn't providing housing, so the Anafi emigrants built their own, in the style they were used to. Like we still see on the Kikladis islands, cubic-shaped whitewashed buildings with flat roofs and colorful doors. It's like a small world of its own in Athens. This area of Plaka is still called Anafiotika. The people from Anafi even built their own church in 1847. Ayosimion, a beautiful stone and tiled church, tucked into the neighborhood. Unfortunately, a number of the Anafiotika houses were taken by the government in the 1950s and destroyed to make way for the archaeological excavations. The government bought up a few more in the 1970s. Then in the 80s, the neighborhood of Plaka fell victim to what so many have throughout the civilized world. They were gentrified. A viable, mostly working class neighborhood became desirable to rich people. And under the banner of a restoration project, many homeowners were pushed to sell. The rich folks moved in, pushing the prices beyond the reach of the families who had lived there for generations. Just like the middle and working class neighborhoods of New York City, Hoboken, and my hometown, Montclair, New Jersey but not Anafiotika. Some of the residents are descendants of the original Anafi builders. The downside of not being gentrified, Anafiotika is one of the few areas in Plaka where the water and electricity services are subpar. This little neighborhood within a neighborhood is well worth a walkthrough, but keep in mind, unlike the rest of commercialized Plaka, Anafiotika is still a residential neighborhood. Around the time that the builders of Anafi were creating their oasis within Plaka, starting in the 1830s, many heroes of the War of Independence, as well as wealthy merchants, were building their houses there. And one of the first actions of the new free Greek kingdom, that's what it was, a kind of bow to the monarchies of Europe who didn't want independence to be taken too far. King Otto decreed the creation of the University of Athens in 1836. It was originally housed in a mansion in Plaka until the new building could be completed elsewhere in the city. According to Bruce Clark in his remarkable history, Athens, City of Wisdom, the original courses of study included medicine, law, theology, and general sciences ranging from philosophy to mathematics. The understanding of the powers at that time was that a healthy community was a well-educated community. Something my country, the U.S., is weirdly having a debate about. 
The rebuilding and modernizing of Athens and the massive destruction of the countryside where Ottoman troops targeted the crops and farms that fed Greece contributed to a mass migration to the city. The population of Athens that was 4,000 when the war ended in 1832 became 44,500 by 1870. Athens built out from the original neighborhoods of Plaka to eventually create the sprawling city that it is now. Plaka suffered a massive fire in 1884, the Great Fire of Athens, where a large section of the neighborhood was destroyed. By all reports, the fire was horrific, but I'm yet to find the cause. So although there are some good examples of original buildings, many were beyond rescue, but there are still remnants of the ancient world existing in Plaka. The devastation allowed archeologists to excavate the ancient Roman Agora and Hadrian's Library, two important stops on the historical tour of the neighborhood. In less than 40 years after the fire, the area would also be a refuge for the Greeks of Asia Minor. In 1922, those who survived the Greek massacres and expulsions from Turkish territory flooded the area and made their own cultural impact, bringing foods common to the Greeks of Asia Minor and making them part of every Greek's cooking repertoire. So let's talk about those historic destinations. Between 146 to 133 BCE, first the Greek peninsula and later the Aegean Islands were taken over as a Roman protectorate. Basically, Rome seized the territory as the Romans tended to do. Late in the first century, the Athenians built a large and rather spectacular marketplace called the Roman Agora because it was constructed thanks to donations from wealthy Roman leaders like Julius Caesar, who by now had been dead for three decades, and his successor Augustus. It was a business venture. The Greek word agora means market or shop, but according to worldhistory.org, in ancient Greek it meant a public open space that was used for assemblies and markets. This Roman agora, as it is still called, was built to the east of the much older 6th century BCE agora, where democracy was celebrated and where Socrates taught and died. And like the original Greek Agora, it was a gathering place, mostly for men, where they could hear public announcements, share gossip and news, and take care of business. The Roman Agora is located below the Acropolis. 110 columns enclosed the rectangular courtyard where shops were located and merchants and artisans sold their merchandise. Many of those columns are still standing. The public latrines were nearby in their own columned building. We have a video link in the podcast notes of a reconstruction of, of the latrines, both fascinating and a, a little gross because of ancient bathroom practices. There was apparently a communal personal hygiene tool. There was no toilet paper back then. But the engineering of it is pretty amazing and much nicer than your typical modern public restrooms, although completely lacking in privacy. The Tower of the Winds sits near the Agora, an ornate marble octagonal clock tower. Sundials were attached to the sides facing the sun for telling the time that was the clock. But it also contained a water clock, which used running water to tell the time. What the heck? More research. I don't understand how that works. At one time, the tower was topped by a bronze weather vane for monitoring the wind. It said the ancient merchants and traders kept track of when ships would arrive at port by determining the conditions, watching the tower weather vane, and they could then adjust the prices of the items coming in accordingly. 
the Tower of the Winds has been called the first weather station in the world. The site also contains a Roman fountain, arches, and the famous entrance to the site, a gate dedicated to the goddess Athena. Hadrian's library is one of the most famous ancient structures in Plaka. The Emperor Hadrian ruled the Roman Empire, which included Greek territory, over a century after Augustus. And like him, Hadrian loved Athens and Greek art. They weren't just intent on using the Greek style to beautify Rome, but as Clark says, they felt by restoring Athens to its former glory and adding to those glories, it would be an important part of their legacy. And they were right not to hail Hadrian, who was a horrendous persecutor of the Jews in Jerusalem, even driving them out. But the library was a tremendous contribution to the city. It was built around 132 to 134 AD or CE and was the largest library in Athens. The second century Greek historian Pafsanias described it as the building with 100 columns of Phrygian marble, halls with painted ceilings, alabaster walls, and niches with statues in which books are kept. The center courtyard included gardens, a pond, and according to Clark, places where philosophers could walk, talk, and teach. The library proper was a two-story repository of scrolls, some literature and philosophy, but also important legal and administrative documents. The library housed different schools of learning and philosophy, and on either side of the library itself were reading rooms flanked by amphitheater-style lecture halls. In a little more than 100 years, the library was damaged in an invasion and later a fire. Eventually, a series of Christian churches or basilicas were built on top of it as late as the 12th century. Then in the 15th century, the site was taken over by the Turkish governor of Athens. The aforementioned fire of 1884 was an opportunity for the state to start excavations, but it was in the mid to late 20th century that buildings were completely cleared from the site so it could be fully excavated and partially restored. The remnants of the building give visitors a sense of how grand and important the library once was. The oldest street in Athens and in all of Europe is another feature of Plaka. Tripado, Tripodon Street, has existed for 2,500 years through multiple wars over millennia and the Great Fire of 1884. Tripodon Street was one of the widest streets in ancient Athens, and most of the street still follows the same ancient path. It holds the Guinness World Record as the oldest street in Athens and Europe, which is not as impressive to me as its descriptions in the writings of the historian Papsanias. Tripodon is known as the street of theater and fine arts because it connects the ancient Agora to the theater of Dionysios, the god of winemaking, theater, and fertility. He of the colorful phalluses. There were regular torchlit processions along the street to honor him. The road got its name from the copper tripods that lined it in ancient times. The tripods held the prizes for the winners of the theater competitions held there regularly. Greek reporter says these competitions were often dedicated to the god Apollo. He was the god of poetry, music, and art, and I guess a good deity to have on your side in a competition. But I do wonder if the lesser god, Dionysius, felt snubbed. Maybe that was the reason for all the processions. After a while, the tripods holding those coveted prizes became increasingly ornate and opulent. They wound up looking almost like mini temples or shrines to the winners of the prizes. Most of these monuments have been destroyed over the years. The best preserved of those remaining is the monument of Lysikratis. 
Lysikratis was a choir master whose choir took first place in a competition sometime around 335 BCE. And he must have been proud, Panagia. It has a nine and a half square foot base, about 2.9 meters, is 13 feet or four meters high. On top of that is a 24 foot or 6.4 meter high circular structure made of pentelic marble. Pentelic marble is a white marble harvested from Mount Petelikon and was used for many of the major monuments of classical Greece. And Lysikratis didn't stop there. Six Corinthian columns surround the marble and hold a shallow dome over the top that has three scrolls creating the tripod that once supported the Longon Trophy. There's a frieze running around the top of the marble showing Tyrrhenian pirates, Tyrannos, being turned into dolphins by Dionysius. Google it. These people took their trophies very seriously. The history of the monument of Lysikratis is a thumbnail of the history of Plaka. The monument was sold by the occupying Turks in the 17th century to an order of Capuchin monks who incorporated it into the monastery they built. On a side note, Lord Byron, a great Philcheline and hero of Greece, stayed in the monastery during his second trip to Greece. Lord Elgin of Scotland, the notorious pillager of the Parthenon and many other irreplaceable antiquities of Greece, wanted the monument of Lysikratis as well, the greedy bastard. He offered to buy it from the Capuchins, but they refused him. If it had been an Orthodox monastery, he would have taken it by force with the approval of the Ottoman government, as he did many of the irreplaceable antiquities he stole from Greece. The monks were a French Catholic order, which gave them protected status for the time being, as France was a world power. The Capuchins saved the monument from Lord Pillager. During the Greek War of Independence, which the Kingdom of France supported, the monastery was burned down. Some sources say the fire was deliberately set by the Ottomans. After the war was over, the French government took possession of the property and the monument. They later exchanged it for a plot of land elsewhere in Athens, and it's belonged to the city of Athens ever since. And there is another historic event involving the monument. The garden surrounding it is where the first tomatoes were planted in Greece in 1815 by one of the Capuchins, a huge moment for Greek cuisine. Next on our historical tour of Plaka, the Venizelos Mansion. Now a museum that is the only remaining Konaki in Plaka, according to the museum website. Konaki means mansion or residence, and it is the oldest surviving house of the Ottoman period in Athens, according to AthensInsiders.com. The home was built in the 15th century from Lobaben Angelos Venizelos, head of one of the most influential families of Athens. It was renovated in the 18th century to more popular Ottoman style of that time. There are marble columns with a leaf motif, stone floors and balconies. There was a well in the courtyard and a wash basin built into the side of the staircase going up to the house, both of which were characteristic of noble houses of the period, according to the museum website. The upstairs has decorative woodwork, small stained glass windows, and a fireplace. The property has both centuries-old wine presses and olive presses, along with storage jars for grains, olive oil, and wine. Yes, olive oil is in our blood. The remarkably detailed preservation of the building is one reason for its status as a must-see attraction in Plaka. The other is that the original homeowner, Angelo Venizelos, 
was the father of Ravula Venizelos, later known as Saint Philothée. She's a much beloved saint because of the charity work in her lifetime. She built hospices, orphanages, and organizations to care for the poor and the sick. But she is most loved for saving many of the Greek slaves of the Ottoman Empire. She used the money she inherited to purchase back Greek slaves, mostly women forced into harems. She sheltered and aided the escape of many others. She was a badass nun. Her activism created such animosity between her and the Ottoman government. And in 1588, four Ottoman mercenaries forced their way into the monastery she had built in Athens and beat her so badly, she later died of her injuries. It's an amazing story of resistance and self-sacrifice for enslaved women. The Orthodox Archdiocese of Athens took possession of the mansion in 1999, and it was renovated in 2008-2009 before becoming a museum in 2017. The Venezuela's Mansion Museum sits on the main drag of Plaka, Adriano Street. Adriano Street is the oldest street in Athens still in continuous use. Greek reporter says, most remarkably, it still has the exact same layout as it did in antiquity. When you consider the many wars Athens suffered through, from the Persians in the 5th century BCE, to the Franks, Venetians, the Romans, Ottomans, the Germans during World War II, the Greek Civil War, and the money developers with their eyes on every piece of real estate in the city, it's amazing that there is a street left in its original layout. And there are so many more historical sites in Plaka. The Temple of Zeus, the Mosque of the Conquest, which was built on the ruins of an early Christian basilica in 456 CE and dedicated to the Ottoman Sultan. The Temple of Hephaestus, the Church of the Virgin Mary in St. Eleftherios built in the 12th century, the Holy Church of St. Nicholas Rangavas, built in the 11th century, and a number of other historic churches, many still in use. When writing about the historic Plaka district in a 2015 article for Greekis.com, Jorlia Lemos described it perfectly. She said, It's sitting on a slab of ancient marble from the 5th century BC, surrounded by 19th century neoclassical mansions and gazing upon the Roman aura where a medieval mosque and a 2nd century B.C. weather vane also stand. Other places worth a visit in Plaka are Bretos, the oldest distillery in Greece. It's been in Athens since 1909. They sell Greek wines, ouzo, tsupuro, brandy, and liqueurs, including a honey and cinnamon raki. The Greek Folk Art Museum has gathered over 400 centuries worth of folk art. The Children's Museum is said to be amazing. There's also a Museum of Greek Musical Instruments and the celebrated Jewish Museum of Greece, which GreekBoston.com says traces the history of Greek Jews from the 2nd century BC. Honestly, you could spend an entire vacation just investigating everything there is to see in Plaka. On a final note, a word on the challenges facing Plaka today, with the ever-increasing level of tourism in the area. There were there was a lot of building in Athens in the 1950s, after the Greek Civil War. After another wave of Greeks left rural areas for the city, and leaving Greece the responsibility of slapping up as many drab concrete buildings as quickly as they could in order to house everyone. But Plaka managed to remain well-preserved through strict zoning and conservation regulations, and the 1,500 permanent residents of the neighborhood want to make sure it stays that way. A presidential degree in 1999 
forbade the building of new hotels in the area, but many of the apartments there are now being rented out as Airbnbs. Look, we really like the Airbnb we stayed in outside of Plaka, but I can see where a constant flow of tourists in and out of the residential buildings could be a problem. A transient population is never as careful following the rules as a permanent population. Another problem, as entrepreneurs rush to feed and entertain Plaka visitors, is that restaurants and bars are supposed to limit noise out of courtesy to the residents, and they've been barred from expanding their businesses on uh, upper floors and roofs. But the DailyBeast.com says every summer, more and more rooftop bars, cafes, and restaurants open. Speakers playing music in the restaurants and bars are loud, ignoring noise restrictions, and making it tough on the people who live there. Imagine every night trying to get to sleep while multiple restaurants and bars blast different kinds of music. Most of the streets are pedestrian only, and the few places cars can park are usually being taken up by visitors or business staff. Some residents, including those that have lived there for generations, are being driven out because living conditions have become so difficult. The Society for the Environment and Cultural Heritage, an organization of residents trying to save Plaka, have made a series of proposals to the city so that they and the business owners can coexist in peace. One is to install external noise meters to measure the volume of the speakers in restaurants and bars. There's that limit on the books, but the noise meters would allow the neighborhood to impose fines on those ignoring it. Another proposal is to use drones to take photos and document rooftop businesses that are forbidden by law. Violators would be fined and made to dismantle illegal expansions on their businesses. We saw multiple rooftop cafes and bars when we visited Plaka. Okay, cool view, but they also obstruct views for others and create a more congested area by cramming in as many tourists as they can. As of this past February, 2023, the municipality of Athens hasn't responded to the community group's proposals. Same sad commentary on local administrations everywhere. Lydia Karas, who leads the group and is a Plaka resident of many years says the state meaning the federal government of Greece, and the municipality must really look after Plaka at all costs. Plaka has something unique and must be protected, and this must be done now, before all the residents leave again." Unquote. As usual, developers would be the only ones to profit if the proposals aren't accepted, and more of the community is pushed out and real estate is snapped up. Tourism shouldn't trump the rights of people to live decent lives in their own neighborhood. Something to keep in mind as you're visiting and enjoying Plaka. Greek Like Me is a South Greek production. This episode was researched, written, and narrated by me, your host, Pamela Diotis-Wood. Our producer, photographer, and post-production editor is Douglas John. Research assistance from in-house research librarian, Eduardo Gill. Visit our website at stealthgreek.com for resources, photos, links, and more. Please rate, like, and subscribe. It helps us get noticed so we can keep making content about Greeks and Greek culture. Find Greek Like Me on Facebook or on Instagram at Greek underscore like underscore me. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Yes, us. Yes.